Welcome to the Culinary School Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Schroeder. Culinary School is a podcast that brings food service professionals together to teach, inspire, and challenge one another to continue to push the boundaries of our food service industry. Each week, we bring you a guest from the food service world to share their story and insights with you. Now, without further ado, join me as class is now in session. Welcome to the Culinary School Podcast. Today, I am with co-founder and CEO, Paul Motenko of Stacked Restaurants. Paul, welcome and thank you for being here today. Thanks, my pleasure. So can you start off, just give us a a Wikipedia page summary of you for those who do not know you? Well, um, I've been in the restaurant business for about 25 years. I originally started as uh, one of the co-founders of BJ's Restaurants and did that for about 18 years. I had a great time. Uh, very successful and fun experience, but I missed a little stress in my life, so I decided to retire from BJ's and go back into the restaurant business uh, with a different concept called Stacked Food Well Built. Okay, and how did you get into the food service industry starting off? Well, I grew up in Chicago and I'm one of those guys that lives to eat. I'm thinking right now about what I'm gonna have for dinner. I just, uh, food is my life. I'm passionate about it, and uh, like many people uh, in the Midwest, and especially in Chicago. And I also, my other passion was to be in my own business. So um, I couldn't figure out exactly what business to be in, but when I went to school at the University of Illinois, I was inspired probably from the pizza that I ate every single day while I was there, uh, but inspired to get into the restaurant business, and most specifically Chicago-style pizza. I wanted to take it to other places in the country. And so I moved to California in 1979, which shows how old I am. And, um, and uh, was, you know, I was an accounting major, and I went into public accounting um, with the goal of eventually escaping to be in the restaurant business. It took me 16 years to get there, but eventually I did. I had literally no experience in restaurants when I got into it. Um, I just had an idea and a feeling that I would really enjoy it. First of all, it relates to food. I love food. I love thinking about food. I love eating food. I love everything about food. But um, also, it's a service business where you're actually making people happy. And I really enjoy um, making people happy and, and that whole aspect of it. And plus, you're around you know, really uh, young, energetic people and just everything about the hospitality and especially the restaurant business that is uh, just a lot of fun and uh, very rewarding, especially when it works. Sure. So were there any influences growing up that inspired that, the, the food service or is it just your love for eating food and the Midwest because being mm. from the Midwest myself uh, that we talked about last time, you know, it's there's a lot of great food, and you know that's that's how I got into the industry. It had nothing to do with cooking growing up that led me down this path. Yeah, well, it was. Um, I think my family, uh, probably particularly my dad, who also was so passionate about food. When he talked about something he was eating, his eyes would light up, and you could see the excitement and the passion. And um, you know, we go to a lot of restaurants that. Uh, were really great 
and with our family found a restaurant that we particularly enjoyed. It would, you know, not be unusual for us to go there every day for two weeks straight mm-hmm. and just um, just enjoy the, the great food. And uh, my dad, although he was in the retail business uh, for most of his life, he grew up in the grocery business. And um, so just everything about it was, you know, very food related. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that was really, you know, a big part of my inspiration. Mm-hmm. So going from accounting to food service, I mean, talk a little bit about that, because that's a big change. Like you said, you didn't have that restaurant experience. So what was kind of that process? How did BJ's kind of come full circle to, you know, where you got it to be in those initial first years? Well, yeah, the people that don't know me always ask, how did an accountant get into the restaurant business? The people that know me, they ask, how did you survive in accounting for 16 years before you finally got into the restaurant business? Um, and, you know, accounting is a great background for business, whatever business you want to go into. And my goal, like I say, was to be in my own business. So that's why I majored in accounting and that's why I went into accounting, you know, for the start of my career. I didn't think it would take 16 years, uh, but it did. And um, I'm going to try to make a extremely long story kind of short but um, when I moved to California I was looking for great pizza because I was used to great pizza and I saw this place BJ Chicago Pizzeria on Balboa Peninsula I went in figuring well at least they know the right style of pizza and um, and I enjoyed it and I'd go there from time to time but I got an opportunity after begging and pleading for several years to get BJ's as a client. And at this point, BJ's was basically a pizza joint, uh, again, called BJ's Chicago Pizzeria, that just had uh, pizza and a couple of salads. And um, I begged the owners of BJ's to let me do their accounting work because I wanted to live vicariously through them. I wanted to you know, get a franchise, just a menu item. Somehow, I was gonna just, you know, um, I was going to achieve my career goal by living through them. And um, so they became a client of my accounting firm, and we had a great relationship. And then uh, in 1991, they uh, wanted to talk to me because I got an offer to buy the business. And I panicked. How was I going to get another Chicago-style pizza place to be my client in Southern California? So I said to them, listen, you know about my passion for the restaurant business. Uh, give me a couple days to come up with a counter proposal, and because um, I, I want, I see this as a, an opportunity. They said okay, so I ran back to my office. I grabbed one of my partners, Jerry Hennessy, and I said, Jerry, have you ever worked in a restaurant? He said, Yeah, I was a busboy at Marie Callender's during high school. I said, Perfect, we have experience, and so we worked up a business plan. We didn't have there are two things we didn't have. One was any really relevant experience, and two was money. Um, but despite that, we worked up a proposal to take over BJ's, and um, much to our surprise, they accepted it. And um, you know, to this day, I still ask them, why did you accept it? Because it made no sense. But somehow they had uh, they had trusted us, and um, they believed that we could do it. So one day I'm in the accounting business, 
the next day I'm in the pizza business. Now the reason we say my partner and I are the co-founders of BJ's Restaurants is because we are the co-founders of what BJ's is today. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, we bought these, there were three pizza joints, so basically we bought a pizza recipe um, and um, over the years created what BJ's is today. You know, eight to, eight to 10,000 square foot restaurants, mm-hmm. 150 menu items, who are on beer, uh, big uh, you know, sports bar themed, etc. Um, so it's come a long way and it was an exciting adventure along the way, but um, it was the ability to kind of be, um, seize an opportunity and never give up on my dream that created the ability to get into the restaurant business and then, you know, have 25 of the greatest years of my life uh, because every day I enjoy what I do and um, I never have considered it a job. I consider it a, a passion and an ability to do it. I was talking to uh, one of my daughters um, over the weekend and saying how, you know, um, when I was a student, I would look forward to summer and then I would dread at the end of summer. But now I don't have to deal with any of that. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And then I realized it's because she has a job and I have a passion. And I said, yeah, I see what you're saying or how you're looking at me. It's because I love what I do and I never dread doing it and I never like say, oh boy, I get to take a weekend off or I get to take a vacation because I'm thinking about it even when I'm not doing it. Right, that's amazing. So you put in the offer, they accepted it. No ex- no experience, limited busboy experience from <laughs> your partner. a little handy. Yeah. So what were those first kind of, those first couple of days? I mean, what were some of your priorities, some of the things that you wanted to do, um, really just to kind of quickly adapt to the this industry and kind of get on your feet? Yeah, well, well first I wanted to learn because I had really no experience at all. Um, so we spent a few months learning the operations and it was helpful to go into a operation that already existed. So we had some systems and procedures and so on already in place. But once you know, I learned the basics, then I wanted to enhance the concept, bring in some of my ideas that had been building up for 16 long years mm-hmm. and um, but I learned that you know you take it a little at a time and you have to be disciplined in your approach and so um, you know it took a while to bring in one of the first things that I brought in though was probably the best thing I've ever done in the restaurant business and that was the Pizuki which became a uh, almost a cult following in terms of desserts and um, it was something that I brought from my childhood from a friend of mine, my best friend, where we used to sleep at each other's houses on the weekends and we'd always make these freshly baked cookies. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got to Stack and I could see, I mean, to BJ's and, got, and saw that we basically had no desserts. And you gotta have a dessert. And immediately they brought me back to my youth and I said, well, how about a freshly baked cookie? And then, well, you gotta have ice cream on top. And so uh, that's the first thing I developed with BJ's 
like I say, <laughs> my career went downhill from there because uh, I'll never, I don't know if I'll ever have another Kazuki, but um, <laughs> it um, certainly was worthwhile uh, doing. And, you know, over the years, obviously, I, um, we've enhanced both BJs and then developed the staff concept. And, um, you know, the one thing I learned is that you really can uh, just see what it is that you like and what it is it that other people like and adapt it for restaurant use. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the best recipes we have were because I was at someone else's house at a, at a gathering and I, you know, studied the people. I'd see what they were eating, what they liked, what they commented on, and if something really um, just resonated with people, I would, you know, worm my way into getting the recipe and adapt it for restaurant use and it's, mm -hmm. they become some of our most popular uh, menu items. Mm -hmm. What were some of those initial challenges that you faced in the BJ's days getting, um, you know, first starting off and then as you continued to grow into your first couple of locations? Well, as, um, you know, the biggest challenge at the time was we started at BJ's in 1992, which was the beginning of a major recession in California. And sometimes things happen that are somewhat beyond your control. And when fewer people are reading out, then, you know, you've got a real challenge on your, on your hand and uh, sales will go declining year after year after year. And, um, you know, you have to adapt to those situations. And our way to adapt was, we, you know, tried to enhance the concept and that's really what led us to uh, changing the format of BJ's from little pizza joints to what it is today because we believe that in order to stay competitive, we needed to give the guests more and make it an experience that was more distinctive than you know just another pizza joint. Um, so it was kind of good that the recession came when it did because it, it uh, forced us to do things we otherwise might not have, um, have done. But you know, so exterior forces were a big issue for us. And then, um, Realizing that the restaurant business is a penny business, it is you know low margins, and you really have to be on top of it. It's it's such an all-encompassing business. You know, besides being a service business, it's a manufacturing business. It's a, 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 a lot of real estate involved, a lot of human resources because you get a lot of people that you're dealing with. Um, you know, there's a lot of financing issues. So, you know, I think the restaurant business, more than any, um, just encompasses every aspect of business that there is. And so you really need to be constantly uh, thinking about all aspects of the business and you have to be, to some extent, a jack of all trades, especially at first when you're not able to have an infrastructure to support each area. You really have to know some of each and that's where you know the accounting background came in handy 16 years was an overkill but uh, the background did come in handy okay so then where transition a little bit to stacked and where you are today how did this concept kind of come to life i know you mentioned earlier that um bj's you retired from there but then it didn't last long so how did STAC come to be and where, and just kind of that whole process? 
Well, my partners and I, my partner and I are entrepreneurial at heart. And when we built BJ's, it was an incredibly fun experience, incredibly challenging experience. But BJ's got to a point where everything was appropriately by committee, where you couldn't make the decisions and instantly, and um, where you had to have systems and procedures that were not entrepreneurial in nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't as much fun, plus it really wasn't our real house. You know, we were more like uh, seat of the pants, decision making and uh, being able to impact things uh, in a very short period of time. So, you know, both my partner and I decided that maybe for the sake of the company as well as for our sanity, that we would bring in professional management who could take BJ's to the next level. This time we had 50, 60 restaurants. It was a big organization and we Mm -hmm. had restaurants from coast to coast. but we felt that the company needed more discipline, more organization, and more structure, and others could probably provide that better than we could. So we brought someone in um, who had very great qualifications in that area, and we took a back seat and we went from co-CEOs to co-chairmen. And then, um, uh, you know, we were more um, involved with culture, I was still, involved with food to some extent, but we're more involved with culture of the company and uh, the values and that those are very important things, but um, we get a little bored. And so by 2008, we kind of decided that it was time to do something else. Well, we weren't going to go back into public accounting. (laughs) So our other choice was to go back into the restaurant business and do it again. And, you know, we were trying to figure out, okay, what did we really want to do at this point? You know, we achieved some financial goals that made it not necessary for us to go back, but um, we really enjoyed it so much. But, you know, we're gonna do something on a small scale, we're gonna do something bigger. And, you know, one day we kind of came up with the idea of, how about, you know, you always want to do what you haven't done. And uh, BJ's was such a big concept, 150 menu items, 8 to 10,000 square foot restaurants, got the brewery part of the concept, sports bar part of the concept, it had everything. Very complicated, uh, very high volume restaurants. And so we said, you know what, what if we did something simple? And we focused on a few menu categories and just those categories, the things that people love the best, America's favorite foods. And so we thought of burgers, pizza, salads, and originally it was uh, hot dogs and sausages, which later morphed into um, mac and cheese. But, um, so we thought that sounded good, very simple, but um, we've always felt that having a broad appeal and having a distinctive nature to whatever we did was important. So we decided, well, you know, it'd be very distinctive to have ultimate customization within those categories. So you can choose your favorite ingredients and create your own personal masterpiece in those four categories. Um, And so that sounded even better. So we were getting very excited. But we realized that if we were gonna do something like that, it was really so exciting and we felt so unique and it really never done before. Been done before. There's uh, fast casual restaurants that have just burgers 
that are customizable, just salads, just pizza, that are very customizable. But to have four distinct main menu categories and that level of customization, to our knowledge, had never been attempted before um, anywhere. So we kind of looked at each other and said, okay, if we do this, we're going to try to create another, you know, a major brand because we felt it was too good an idea to do on a small basis. And then we're trying to decide, okay, that sounds like fun. Now, how do we execute that vision, especially from the guest perspective? If it was fast casual, the menu board would be as big as a building and people would have, you know, their heads would explode as they looked at all the ingredients while, you know, there's 10 people in line behind them and, you know, they right. feel the pressure, uh, you know, breathing down their neck. And we felt that it just was undoable. We couldn't do uh, fast casual. And even in a full service environment, it'd be very challenging because you tell your server, you had a party of five, everyone's selling the server, the 12 ingredients they want on their pizza, or their mac and cheese, whatever. And um, the server writes it down and then transcribes it to the POS, and then it goes to the cooks, and then they prepare it. There's too many steps along the way where something can go wrong. So we, we were kind of stuck. How do we do this? We were married to the customization. We were married to the multiple food categories. So now what do we do? Well, eventually we came to the conclusion that the only way to do it where our guests could customize their meal in a comfortable, uninhibited way was to have a touchscreen device at every table where the guests could just sit back, relax, and visually build their meal at the table. And then when they saw what they liked, they'd send it to the kitchen. Unbelievable. We had our answer. <laughs> Only one problem. No such device existed at the time. This was 2009. And there was no device that was capable of doing that on a commercial basis. And then thank you, Steve Jobs. May you rest in peace. Um, for coming up with the iPad in 2010. And once that happened, we realized that we had our tool to facilitate this um, vision that we had. So we went about developing a proprietary uh, user interface uh, for our guests to be able to order their food in a comfortable and uninhibited way. And the objectives we had for the interface were it had to be simple, it had to be intuitive, it had to be fun, and it had to be appetizing. No small feat. Um, so we spent a couple years developing the system and um, I believe that we have accomplished our objectives. At least, you know, the millions of people who have been distacked, uh, very few have, you know, thrown the iPad at us and said, what the hell is this? So I think we, uh, we did it and um, it was probably the biggest challenge and the most fun project of my career. Um, but it's the one thing at Stack that has remained constant, although we enhance it all the time mm -hmm. with new features, fundamentally it's retained, remained constant, where almost everything else about Stack has evolved. So I think it was good that we took the two years to do it right. And, um, you know, now we have, you know, Stack, we have five restaurants, and uh, people are really embracing almost every aspect of the concept. How were those initial days, especially with the iPad, like you said, it, it hadn't been done before, it's something new, it took you 
couple of years to eventually get it to where you wanted it to be. You know, it's it's changed for the industry and it's something new. So what was that the the customer reaction at first? Was that something they enjoyed or was there a lot of pushback at the beginning for it? Well, it's really been uh, an evolution in the story. Originally, you know, one of the things is nothing goes as planned. And the second uh, moral to this story is nothing costs as little as you think it's going to cost. Um, we had a budget for the user interface. We went you know, over that budget by 400%. <laughs> I wish the budget was $10 and it cost us 40 but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, and the other thing was, you know, our plan was we were going to develop it, we were going to then beat it to death, uh, test, 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 test. And so when we opened our first restaurant, it would be so thoroughly tested that everything would go smooth as silk. Well, you know, okay, it cost us four times what we thought. And then, you know, we had, um, you know, executed some leases because, you know, that whole process takes about a year by the time you identify a site until when you're ready to open. So we couldn't wait till the system was perfected until we, you know, signed a lease. Um, and, you know, we're paying rent. So we got the system done to where we thought it actually might work. And then we had a week to test it. And <laughs> I'll never forget, we, we were looking for people to test this thing. and. Who did we find? Our IT guy, his grandmother, and some of her friends. And so we had these 80-year-old women in the restaurant sitting down. They were the first consumers to use this thing. And we, in our defense, we figured if they could figure it out, anyone could figure mm -hmm. it out. Well, anyway, we're sitting there, sweat you know, pouring down our uh, foreheads as we we're watching these women struggle to figure out how to do this thing. Um, and, you know, it wasn't the greatest of tests, but we decided, well, we're going to open the restaurant anyway. And we literally had an IT department in one of the sections of the restaurant. It, um, it looked a little like NASA uh, back in one of the corners. And it was a nightmare, you know, it would break down quite often. But when it worked, it really worked well. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, you know, we had you know, a lot of publicity because we were the first restaurant that we, you know, certainly in the area to use iPads in this kind of um, function. And so we got a lot of visibility. And a lot of people came in because they were intrigued by the use of the iPads. So it was something that was kind of a novelty at the time. Um, and so it attracted people. And I think, you know, when it worked, most people really enjoyed it. Um, but there were a couple of things um, that made me think that this really was going to work. One was that um, my wife, who was not very computer savvy and um, really is kind of fearful of technology, we were having our pre-opening events where we had people come in, you know, to try the food and so mm -hmm. on. And after the the first event, my wife was there, and you know, I was telling her how to use the system. By the third pre-opening event, I saw him. I looked across the restaurant. I saw my wife explaining it to some friends, and I knew there was hope. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was um, the first day we were actually open for business. 
there were 10 people that came in from Best Buy, and about three of them had Geek Squad logos on their shirts. So I was really nervous. Mm -hmm. And um, I went up to them and I, you know, said, you know, well, how is everything? How do you like the technology? And to give a little backstory to this, we didn't want the technology to be the main focus of the restaurant. It was basically about customization, about getting exactly what you want with incredible ingredients. And if you choose, we figured if you choose your favorite ingredients and they're really good ingredients, you're gonna like what you get. Um, so we really wanted to focus on the food and the experience, not the technology. So we informed all the staff, do not mention the technology, uh, focus on the food. So anyway, you know, but these people were from Best Buy. Mm -hmm. The Geek Squad, for God's sake. <laughs> so I went up to him and I said, well, uh, how is everything? They said, fine. I said, how did you like the technology? And one of them looked up at me and she glared at me. She said, it's not about the technology, it's about the food. And I smiled at her, I shook her hand, and I said, you know what? I think maybe we're gonna make it. And um, so for most people, whether they come in because of it's a unique technology or whether they come in for some other reason, in the end, it's about the food, it's about the service, it's about the hospitality, and uh, all those other things that are very similar to any other restaurant. Um, so what's evolved is, at first, we got a lot of, of people who thought it was really cool uh, to use it because it was an iPad. Now everybody's got an iPad, mm -hmm. iPad or some other uh, tablet. So there's less the novelty of it, and it's actually more challenging for us in the sense that even though people are used to using technology, um, it's, we have to prove its value in other ways, not as a fun thing to try, but as a way to get exactly what you want, to get the food you want, to control when you order, to control when you pay to personalize your experience. For some people that resonates more than others. And so our challenge is to find ways to make staff um, relevant to everybody. And one of those ways is we take the order for guests that they prefer. We give that option. And for about, I'd say five to 10% of our guests, that's what we do. Because it's about giving them a great dining experience. It's not about using technology, it's about Great hospitality, great food, great experience. How has the implementation of the iPads and the technology, how has that improved the operations here? Um, I mean, in terms of now you don't have to have a server at every table, so I mean, you can go on and check on the guests or put uh, people in other positions to make sure that, you know, a different part, whether it's back of the house is running more smoothly? Well, basically, the technology has enabled us to execute our concept. And, you know, in the early days, uh, the you know, system would uh, break down every once in a while, and we would be reminded of why the uh, system was there in the first place, because it's very, very difficult to execute on this level of customization. 
without the use of technology the way we do it. So, you know, it's, it, it just enables us to do it. In terms of um, saving labor and so on, not as much. Um, we use about the same, maybe a little less labor that a traditional restaurant does, but we can do so much more with that same amount of labor. If we uh, didn't have the technology, we'd have, a, we'd have to have a level of staffing that was unsustainable from a financial perspective. So it, um, it really helps us out in that sense. But you know, we chose the route of um, you know, trying to have as much, if not more, hospitality than a traditional full-service restaurant. We could have chosen a different path and make it more um, automated and less human, but that's not in our DNA. We, you know, the reason we love the hospitality business is because we love the hospitality. Mm -hmm. So, um, what it does is it gives our team members more time to engage with our guests in different ways. I personally feel that hospitality occurs between the order taking and the payment processing because everybody comes and takes your order. At every restaurant, they come and take your order. And at every restaurant, they process your payment. So that's kind of a given. Those are administrative functions. But it's what happens in between when you're know, getting food to you that looks great and um, making sure you have everything you need. Checking back. You know, making sure you have your drink refills, um, making sure that the food was cooked properly, and uh, engaging with the guests uh, to you know see that you know maybe you know suggesting dessert and what your favorite dessert is, and all those things. That's to me where hospitality comes in. So we focus on those aspects of hospitality because we don't have to focus on the administrative functions of taking the order and processing the payment. So. Um, you know, for people that, you know, enjoy the process of creating a meal on the iPad at the table, Stack can be a truly perfect restaurant experience because you get exactly what you want. You control when you order, you control when you pay, and you have tremendous hospitality to make sure that everything else goes perfectly. So, um, you know, that was kind of our vision is to create the perfect restaurant experience. Now, I'd like to say that every experience in Stacked is perfect, but, you know, it's not exactly that way. We do the best we can, and I think people really uh, enjoy it and appreciate it. You know, our Yelp reviews seem to reflect that people really enjoy it. Um, but, um, you know, we try our best to make sure that mm -hmm. every guest has the best experience possible. Mm -hmm. Were there any, or has there been any big changes from the first stack to what it is today anything I know one of the things you mentioned was at first you had like the hot dogs and sausage and that kind of changed to the mac and cheese which is phenomenal by the way but is there anything um, that was big like that that did change it kind of that process you, you know when you knew it was time to change and when you had to add something else in everything um, <laughs> Basically, when we started out, we wanted it to be a fast casual hybrid. In other words, you could have the speed and the value of fast casual in a full service environment. And that was a noble cause. But um, because of that, we had kind of a limited menu, you know, for efficiency purposes. We had just a few appetizers and um, we didn't uh, have much in terms of dessert. And um, we didn't have as many items. 
Um, we also had just beer and wine. We didn't have full alcohol. And um, our environments were a little funkier and the seating was not really full service type seating. It was more fast casual type. It was, uh, it was nice, but it wasn't as comfortable as if you, you know, we bought our guests, we're gonna stay there for an hour, hour and a half. Um, so what we learned is that our guests really wanted a full service leisurely experience where they could use us as fast casual because you come into stacked and you order within 30 seconds and you get your food you know very rapidly and it could be actually faster than fast casual because you don't have to wait in line but most people really wanted to have a social nature mm -hmm. of the experience and feel the energy and so on so the first thing we did was um we added full alcohol uh, that was a huge thing in our um, percentage of alcohol sales went up dramatically, uh, basically uh, three times what they were um, when it was just beer and wine. And then it created a more social experience and really changed the entire environment of the restaurant. And then, yeah, we went from uh, sausages and hot dogs to mac and cheese, which, you know, was a huge thing because we got the greatest mac and cheese you know, two years in a row, best mac and cheese in San Diego. Um, it's just when you can create your own mac and cheese, magic happens. And, you know, we're very well known for our mac and cheese. Um, but then we've got a lot of appetizers now and um, uh, some great desserts, our butter cake, stack your own butter cake, need I say more. Um, and then we enhanced our environments. We have much uh, more comfortable seating. But, you know, I mean, I'd say more upscale environments and um, very authentic, very warm. Um, and so we kind of went from, you know, just kind of going a little below full service casual to where it was more, you know, kind of a hybrid to premium, um, uh, premium casual and, you know, everything, you know, that comes along with that. The interesting thing about Stacked is we kind of think of it as an empty vessel that you create the experience you want. And you can have 200 people in the restaurant creating their own personal experience. So for some people, it could be a very inexpensive, um, value-oriented, fast casual experience. So we can't provide the speed and the value of fast casual. But for others, it could be almost an upscale experience, depending on what you put in your burger or your mac and cheese, um, and a very leisurely experience. Uh, you order at your pace, you know. Mm -hmm. I often am here for a few hours and, you know, uh, being that I do live to eat every, you know, 30 minutes, I, you know, look at Eddie, my favorite iPad, and I uh, <laughs> order something else. And so I keep my stomach at a nice, constant level of satisfaction. <laughs> and that's uh, something that a lot of guests enjoy. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to switch gears a little bit and kind of talk about community with Stack being something new at the time when you were opening your first restaurant, I want to just hear your thoughts on what you had to do or, or what your team did to kind of spread the awareness before you opened um, to tell the community about Stack and how you guys, and, and then a little bit to what you're doing today and how you do that since you do have multiple locations. Yeah, well, being involved in the communities you serve is one of the most important uh, values that we have at Stacked as we did at BJ's and 
it's um, something that's really important to us for many reasons. First of all, you know, from a marketing perspective, I think it's the best way to market. Um, you know, spending a lot of money on you know traditional advertising, it you know never worked that well, and these days it really doesn't work. Um, but getting involved in the communities and um, you know getting the communities to embrace uh, what we're doing is really important. But probably more important is what it does for the community. Being in the restaurant business is a unique um, opportunity and privilege uh, to support worthwhile causes. And uh, you know, I think I see it as, again, a privilege and something that we are glad to do. I'm very sensitive to worthwhile causes because I'm very involved in one myself, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. My daughter has this disease, and uh, when she was born, the doctors told, her, told us we shouldn't expect her to live to be an adult. So, um, you know, you talk about a passion for something, you know, there's nothing stronger than the passion we're trying to save your child's life. So I became very involved with that cause and it really changed my whole outlook on life and on business where if there's a way for business to thrive and at the same time doing worthwhile things for worthy uh, causes, it's um, that's what brings purpose to what you do and part of the reason that I love what I do so much. And part of the reason that the people that work for us, both the BJs and Stack, really enjoy what they do as well. It creates purpose for them um, as well, and that's really important. So, you know, at BJ's, we're a huge supporter of many causes, including cystic fibrosis. At Stacked, um, you know, we've followed that um, tradition of never saying no to a worthwhile cause. We get involved in a lot of community events, and we do whatever we can uh, to support them. And um, I think the community Appreciates it. I'm on the board of the Cerritos Chamber and the uh, Huntington Beach Chamber. I'm also on the uh, board of the Golden West College uh, Foundation, where we provide scholarships for uh, students. And uh, just you know, two days ago we had our annual uh, scholarship uh, event, where probably 800 students received scholarships. Wow. And I got the great privilege of handing out these scholarships to these students and to see the look on their faces um, of pride and appreciation was just amazing. And, um, you know, that's a big part of the reason that my partner and I got back into the restaurant business is because the ability to affect people's lives like that and to be a part of a community um, was something that we really, really missed and we're um, thrilled to be uh, doing it again. Uh, we don't have the resources to do it on the scale as when we left BJ's, but mm -hmm. um, we do whatever we can. And it's just so important to anyone, I think, being in business. You're in business in the community, and um, you know, even though we've got multiple locations now, um, we, you know, when you create a culture of compassion and a culture of um, involvement, it's really uh, something that rubs off on everybody. And we hear all the time about things that are managers and staff do in their communities that make us very proud. So it's about creating culture. You can't be everywhere and you can't do everything. But if you create the right culture, then people do the right things for the right reasons. Absolutely. And I think that's so important too. And, and not just in this industry, but you know any business in their communities. And I think 
you know, now that starts to resonate with a lot of the community members a lot more. Just love to see their local businesses get involved in their communities and then that makes them want to even support their local businesses more and go to the places that are supporting their community. Yeah. One uh, bit of advice I have about involvement in the community is if you're getting involved, get involved. Um, and if you're going to support a cause, do it for authentic reasons. Mm -hmm. um, people can spot a phony promotion a mile away. And if you don't do it for the right reasons, it's then it's inauthentic. And first of all, it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of everyone else's time. And um, it's not going to create the kind of culture that you want to uh, create. And that's why when you get involved in the community, I joined we not only join the Chamber of Commerce, but become active members. And um, when I'm a, me uh, a member on a board, like at Golden West College Foundation, and I'm you know, president of the Orange County chapter of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, I'm actively involved, and I do whatever they ask me to do that I possibly can, um, because you know that's what you're doing it for. If you're doing it for purely marketing, there's probably other things to do. But if you're doing it because it's the right thing to do, that you like the cause, that you want the cause to succeed, then um, it really becomes a labor of love. And, you know, what comes back to you is, you know, way more than what you give. And um, and then it really has become something very special. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, I want to talk a little bit about multiple locations. You know, BJ's, you grew that brand to many locations, but now here at Stat, how are you able to manage all of the locations? You know, whether it's establishing a team and are, were there any differences from now until um, what you had at BJ's? Because I'm sure that was a great learning experience of coming here. Um, were there any other challenges? But you know, more importantly, how are you able to do that to ensure that all your locations are providing that excellent, excellent guest experience? It's one of the greatest challenges of the restaurant business is to have consistency among locations. And uh, the BJ's experience was, you know, quite a mess. And, you know, we learned through making a lot of mistakes. And there were some real challenges uh, to it, you know, inconsistent uh, execution, um, how we were perceived in the communities were different. You know, one of the things is if you have solidified yourself in a community, you've got one restaurant, and then all of a sudden you think you can open multiple restaurants, uh, you better you know think twice because there's something about your home court that is an intangible that's hard to exactly explain. Um, just because you're successful in one place does not mean you're going to be successful in multiple locations. There's again, there's the intangible. The uh, you know, you're there all the time. You see what's happening. You can get the best people. You can train them the way you want. You have direct influence all over them. When you lose that, then uh, you lose a lot of control, and uh, you know it's harder to get that warmth from the community that you did at your own place. So it's something to you know, really you know, think about long and hard. And then um, 
you know, you find situations where things are happening in some of your restaurants that you really feel you can't control, and it's a very scary feeling. Um, you can't muscle through it because you just, you know, some people quit, um, people are not doing a really good job, and uh, things happen. Um, so it's something to be done very deliberately. And I would say, in your first location, you make it great. Then you carefully select your second one. And then you make sure that that's going well. And then maybe you got some systems that, you know, you can start mm -hmm. going a little faster. In our case, at Stacked, we had an advantage because we brought some very key people with us from BJ's who know how to open restaurants in their sleep. Okay. And so we were able to do things that I would not suggest, you know, don't try this at home. We opened our first three restaurants within five months. Wow. It's, it's a definite no-no. <laughs> but there were reasons we felt we had to do it. And uh, again, we had people who were so good at what they did that we felt comfortable that we could pull it off. And we did, you know, there were some challenges and so on, but um, we were able to do that. Um, but, you know, you really want to have your systems down mm -hmm. and you really want to have the concept owned in pretty good before you spread, mm -hmm. spread it because it's harder to change something while the bus is running than to uh, create it um, and then you'll launch it. So the mm -hmm. more restaurants you have, uh, at the time that you have to adapt your concept, the harder it is, to say the least. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone who was thinking about opening their second location? They've had their first one for years now, it's doing great, and they want to open that second location. I mean, is there one thing or a couple of important things that you would tell them before they, they start that process? Make sure you have people you trust um, that are already in the organization and that you have a bench that's deep enough that you can, um, you know, uh, move management over to the new location. Um, it just, you know, every restaurant has a DNA. It has a feel that is basic to it. And when you even, no matter how talented someone is, if they're not, um, if they don't become a part of your DNA and understand it, they're going to have a hard time uh, communicating it to staff and guests at another location. So, you know, it's painful you know, sometimes investing in um, the resources to have people experienced go to a new restaurant, but it's the best investment you can make. Don't, you know, hire, if you can hire four managers don't hire poor managers, give them a month of training, and then set them out in the new location, or have them at the old location while uh, you and an experienced staff goes to the new location. Um, you know, part of the pre-opening costs of opening a restaurant is the, manage the training, management training part, and that's more than just training on how to operate the restaurant. It's having experience at operating the restaurant and understanding the relationship between the restaurant and its guests, understanding what works, where the challenges are, where the opportunities are. Um, so that's something you know, really important. And then, you know, having team members from the first restaurant 
go to the second restaurant to train. And also, it'd be best if some of them can stay there on a permanent basis. So you know, where you location, locate the second restaurant is pretty important as well. Try to make it in a geographically appropriate place to where you can pretty easily have people um, at the uh, go to the new location, but, you know, temporary and permanent. You mentioned a great point earlier about getting the right people around you, having a team that you trust. At any point throughout in, in the restaurant career where it was hard for you to kind of give up some responsibilities uh, just because you were getting to the point where you were getting bigger and you needed to bring people on to grow, you know, starting that off, was, was that ever hard for you to pass that off? Uh, not really, because, um, you know, keep in mind, we had no experience in the restaurant industry when we started. So we've always come to the business as, you know, from a guest perspective. And that's, I think, part of the reason why we've been successful is you got a couple people in the organization that think about the guests first or the guest experience first. They don't think about necessarily the challenges of operating and executing certain things. They think about, well, how will the guests you know, what will this do for our guests? So we purposely tried to maintain that guest focus. And that means, you know, having people work with us who had the operational focus enough to say, well, you know what, uh, you know, maybe we can do it, but, you know, here's how we think we can do it efficiently. Um, so we've always embraced having people work with us so that we could collaborate on things it only got to the point of BJ's where everything was by committee that I got frustrated because I really believe in certain areas that um, you, you don't want too many people mixing in, uh, that you want to have people who really understand the concept, understand the guests, and know what, uh, what they'll embrace. And, uh, you know, you get committees and everyone's got their own ideas and people say things just to contribute when they don't necessarily feel passionate about it and it just becomes a very inefficient process. Um, so, you know, we're at the stage in staff where it's very much a collaboration and we look forward to bringing more people on who have specific talents that can lead us to the next step. I want to switch gears and talk about social media. What role does that play in Stacks organization? Is that something that is important to you and to the success of the restaurants? I believe so. You know, Stack. Um, although we, you know, uh, plan and hope to have, that we have a broad appeal, I'd say our you know main uh, demographic is young people from families to. Young adults, uh, to me, you know, any, anyone under 50 is a young adult. Um, and, you know, obviously those are the most active people on social media. So it's very important to us. We have a particularly robust Instagram account where, uh, you know, I dare you to go on our Instagram and not uh, salivate because <laughs> the photos are amazing. We've got a couple young guys who have huge followings themselves and they do our social media and um, it's amazing they're artists how they can do these photos that are so incredibly appetizing it's just unbelievable 
Um, so we built up our following from like 3,000 to now over 21,000 and uh, growing, you know, every day. And the engagement, you know, between us and the people that follow us on Instagram was so much fun, you know, hearing their comments and uh, seeing what resonates with them. So it's a learning experience for us. You know, some things we get, most things now, you know, most posts we get, you know, over a thousand likes, but, you know, some of them, you know, it's 5,000 likes and saying, hold a second, (laughs) what is this? You know, what, what was it that, you know, really resonated with uh, folks out there versus things that you know they said oh okay um, so it's really helpful to us and um, you know, I believe it you know certainly great for business yeah I agree I'd, well first of all I challenge anyone to go to your Instagram and not get hungry after looking yeah. at because I asked that question you know kind of with a smile because you guys do a great job and I just wanted to hear your thoughts because I mean especially today you know a lot of people are on social media and it's how i have friends who will just before they decide on a place to eat they will they'll look at yelp to see what's around and then they'll go to that restaurant social media account to see if they have pictures of uh of the food and that's how they choose to eat at restaurants and i mean you guys do a great job with it i just feel it is important but not only is it important having good pictures but a point you mentioned is you know, having that communications with the guests who comment on there, I feel is really important as well. Um, because anytime you're commenting on a restaurant's picture, they get there a lot of likes, a lot of comments, and I think you guys do a good job interacting with yeah. those users. Yeah, it's really important. And, uh, you know, the world is changing rapidly, as, as we all know. But um, websites are becoming less and less important uh, these days because... There's so many other ways to engage with and learn about a brand besides their website. So, you know, a few years ago, you know, we felt comfortable. Okay, we can control the environment of our website and provide the content that we liked, uh, that we wanted to uh, promote and we wanted people to see. Well, now things have changed. You know, Yelp has been a big part of that. And that, you know, there's content you can't really control. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but beyond Yelp, there's so many different places that people can go to learn about your brand. And no longer can you sit back and say, oh, my website's looking good. You really need, and it's a very challenging uh, thing to do that takes a lot of resources to look out there and see how your brand is being um, reflected in so many different places in so many different areas. It's a real challenge, but if you do it right, it's a real opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, too, I think something now in these last couple of years, especially, is the rise of food bloggers. And I think they just play an important role on social media because they are showing pictures of their experience at restaurants and someone with a large following that could you know, affect what they say or don't say about a restaurant now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, whenever we um, have seasonal items, like, you know, this month, it's uh, in honor of Cinco de Mayo. There are a lot of Mexican-inspired dishes. We invite bloggers into the restaurant to try them out, and, you know, they, you know, they assume they like it. And mm-hmm. I don't, I haven't figured out a time when they haven't, but <laughs> they, they, you know, they'll promote that, and 
let people know about that, and that's been very helpful in spreading the word. Okay, that's interesting. So is that is that something new that you guys have done in terms of inviting people in when you have a seasonal item, or is that something you have been doing in the past and you feel that's been working for, for Stacked? Yeah, we've done it for years, and it's been very, very uh, helpful. I mean, the bloggers, you know, we know them, and yeah, I saw one uh, out at an event mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she recognized me, came up, and, you know, said I was doing it. Um, yeah, again, developing those relationships, I think, is very important because they do have the ability to, you know, promote, and it's certainly more effective than putting an ad either online or in, uh, you know, in print. Mm-hmm when you get a testimonial from someone that people trust mm-hmm. that's the best kind of you know advertising you can get mm-hmm. are you doing any other sort of advertising or or marketing uh we do very little traditional advertising we've got an ad in a magazine in san diego because it's a very touristy mm-hmm. uh, area um besides that not really you know we'll do some facebook ads and things like that but um we really, you know, it's through, through community involvement and mm-hmm. social media that we mm-hmm. then promote the restaurant. And do you think that's changed, especially in the last couple of years, the way that traditional marketing has it has been in the past, like you said, in you know magazines to where it's now it's a lot of online and social media and word of mouth and bloggers. I mean, if you feel that the last couple of years that's changed a lot from what it's always been in the past? Yeah, I think it, I mean, from the way past, it's changed dramatically, but even in the past couple of years, I think, um, you know, the internet has become a more and more crowded place every minute, and uh, you have to be very strategic, you know, search engine optimization and all this. Um, you, you've got it, it's, it's a science now, uh, and, you know, in order to rise above the noise, I think it's something that either you have the expertise or you've got to hire the expertise to do. It's not like uh, even a couple years ago where there were certain places you go and you know, okay, that's where everyone's promoting. Mm-hmm. There's just so much every day we get bombarded with different um, opportunities to spread the word about staff and you know, you, don't, you can't do them all. Mm-hmm. And you've got to strategically figure out what's going to be most effective. Mm-hmm. You made a good point that I want to ask about is if you don't have the expertise, get it or find it. And that's so do you believe in, you know, working on weaknesses or if you have a weakness, finding someone who has experience and expertise in that area to utilize that? Well, if you're able to find someone and afford it. I would definitely find someone. You know, at, at BJ's, our approach was always to bring people into the organization who had already successfully done what we were trying to do in the next mm-hmm. stage of our growth. And so we did hire people from organizations we respected who had been uh, had been successful. Um, and I think there was a great deal, you know, uh, attributable to our success. Um, so yeah, I believe in, you know, why bring people in to make the same mistakes that you would make yourself? Mm-hmm. Or why make those mistakes when you can bring someone in to, um, you know, who knows what they're doing? On the other hand, you know, you just don't say, hey, here's our problem, see you, you know, see you in a month. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you want to make sure that they understand your vision and that they are doing a good job of reflecting that vision because as good as they are, you know your business better than anyone. So it's a collaboration, but it's nice to collaborate with people who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, before we wrap up with some final questions, I do want to ask a little bit just about future stack. What are some of your goals for stack moving forward? Well, uh, the restaurant industry is changing dramatically before our eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, the off-premise, uh, shipped off-premise um, business has been the biggest disruptor in the industry, I think, that I've ever been involved with. Um, we went from 0% of our sales being delivery to 15% of our sales within six months. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, so you have to adapt to that. There's certainly financial implications to that, third-party delivery services. It's something that you know you have to really analyze if you're you know, doing things that are actually going to be good for your business um, or not, and you have to be strategic about that. And now, you know, catering is becoming a bigger and bigger part of the business, and we're getting into that dramatically, much more profitable. And but it's you know challenging to execute, and so you gotta you know make sure you know what you're doing and do it right and so on. And I've never seen a time when things were more in a state of flux than this. So um, our goal is to you know, get you know, much more into catering. We hired our first catering manager who's full-time you know, to uh, promote our catering. And we've got systems and procedures, and we're just, um, we just uh, purchased some software to uh, help us um, run that part of the business. And just, you know, to make that a bigger and bigger part of our business. Mm -hmm. But who knows what's going to be next. So we're looking to continue to adapt as um, the landscape changes. But I'd say our current focus is on creating a great environment within the four walls of the restaurant to make it even more desirable to come into Stacked, but at the same time to really build on the off-premise business because that's where the growth is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where do you see Stacked in five years? You have plans to open other locations or, um, as you mentioned earlier, really grow the catering business to help that become a bigger part of the overall business? Well, Stacked was always a go big or go home strategy because of our investment in technology. Mm-hmm. And that was when we thought it was going to be X and the fact that it's four times X makes it even a bigger go home, big go big or go home strategy. So we... Um, we definitely want to grow, and we're looking at some sites now in both Orange County and other areas. And um, we committed when we first developed the concept of STAT to grow it into at least a regional, if not a national brand, similar to what we did with BJ's. And those plans are still, um, you know, at the forefront of what we want to do. But, you, you know, we're not presumptuous enough to think that, you know, we snap our fingers and it happens. You take it one at a time, one restaurant at a time, one day at a time, one meal at a time, and do the best that you can and hope that the, you know, communities you serve enjoy the experience and make it worthwhile to continue to grow into new communities and understand that um, you got to prove yourself over and over and over again. It's not an easy thing to do. But once you do it and create a certain brand awareness, like we did with BJ's, I gotta say, 
it becomes pretty easy. <laughs> you got to create that brand awareness, and right. then it really is mm -hmm. uh, not that uh, difficult. So any any plans to open uh, three restaurants in five months, or uh, not, uh, <laughs> maybe not not anytime soon? Right. Yeah, <laughs> we did it for financial reasons. We were we had to we have a large mm -hmm. overhead at Stack because of the technology. Mm -hmm. We did it to be able to support the overhead. We could either go for the gusto, jump off the proverbial cliff, or we could slowly bleed to death because we had to support all this overhead that was the same as one restaurant, 10 restaurants, or 100 restaurants. And um, so that's why we had to do it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> now, I mean, we were blazing new trails. No mm -hmm. one had done what we did, and still I don't think anyone has. If I was to open a traditional restaurant today, I would not build a proprietary POS system. <laughs> uh, a lot of the things that we would do would be much easier and much less expensive and much more proven. So we took the challenging route, but we did it in order to create a distinctive concept. There's plenty of restaurants out there. We are within five mile radius of this restaurant. There are over 900 other restaurants. There's no need for another restaurant. So you have to be distinctive. You have to have a purpose. You have to have a reason to be. And we felt that our reason to be was to have our guests create this very customized experience, this very personalized experience. And when we started to use technology to create that experience, we not only were able to enable our guests to customize the food, but to create the entire personalized experience. So it's very distinctive and I think there's a purpose and reason for us to exist. Mm -hmm. It was more challenging, it was more expensive, but I think it was um, more of a noble cause. Mm -hmm. okay. So before we get into the final uh, rapid fire questions, I just want to share a, a quick story. I think that speaks about um, the culture that you built here at Stacked. Um, when we met a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you I moved here last year. Um, and my first time here at the store, I love burgers and I love mac and cheese. So I knew this place was going to be great. But I told um, one of the service who was checking on us before we ordered, uh, she came up, asked if we had any questions. And I told her my dilemma. I told her I was stuck between, I think it was the jalapeno burger. And at the time, I don't know if it's a seasonal item, but it was a buffalo mac and cheese. And I told her I was stuck between those. I couldn't make up my mind. And she's like, well... You pick one and you don't like it, she says, I'll personally bring you out the other item to ensure that you like it. Well, I went with the mac and cheese, and it didn't disappoint. It was absolutely fantastic, but I think that just shows the culture that is here that, you know, really hospitality and putting your guests first and, you know, that the, the staff here believes in the company and the culture. Um, yeah, I just thought that that was great. Just my first experience here that your staff did that. And then I will say my second time around, I did order the burger and that was equally good. So, but I wanted to share that story because I thought that that was great that, that your staff did that and just how they put the customers first. Well, I appreciate that story and it uh, warms my heart because that's what we uh, want. And, um, you know, I wish I knew who that server was. I give her a high five because that truly reflects how we feel about our guests, and uh, and that's that's a great story to hear. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Cool.
All right, so some final questions here. What are you most excited about for the food service industry right now and moving forward? Well, I'm most excited for the guests, to tell you the truth, because I think we've entered an era where um, in every aspect of people's lives, they're able to get what they want, when they want it, how they want it, and to some extent, uh, the restaurant industry was a little behind on that. And because of the uh, third-party delivery services, because of technology and uh, other things, I think guests are able to get what they want. You know, I think staff is kind of the embodiment of that to get exactly what you want, when you want, and how you want it. But um, there's so many ways that people can use restaurants now, so many different choices that I'm really excited about how that continues to evolve to where the restaurant and food industry can continue to serve guests ever-changing uh, needs to uh, get things, you know, where and when and how they want it. Um, the whole world is changing, you know, people are, um, you know, working remotely, uh, they're, you know, when they do work in the office, there, you know, a lot of um, companies are providing food because they want their workers to work through the meal period. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, then people come home, they're retired, they live in uh, different lifestyles. And, you know, as an industry, we want to be able to, um, you know, to adapt to those lifestyles. And I think we're just starting to do a good job at that. And I look forward to seeing how that evolves. If somebody came up to you today and said they wanted to open a restaurant, what is one piece of advice that you would tell them? Besides, don't do it. Uh, let's see. <laughs> no, I, I'd say do it if you're passionate about it. Uh, it's very difficult, it's very challenging, but there's two things I would say. One is make sure you have the resources to do it because you know it doesn't normally, it doesn't usually cost four times what you expect. But usually things cost more than you expect and you don't do quite as well as you expect. There are exceptions to that rule, but be very realistic because the biggest reason that businesses fail in general is being undercapitalized. And um, understand that the restaurant business is a business and it's a very capital intensive business. It takes a lot of money to open a restaurant and you want to um, make sure you have a staying power to adapt. You don't necessarily get it right right off the bat. Um, and then don't be too optimistic in terms of what you project uh, things, because again, unless you know, you're one in a million, if things go well or, or as well or better than you expect. Um, you know, I mean, I could you know, tell you a hundred things about you know, how you develop a concept, but in terms of making sure that you understand it is a business and if you can't make it successful as a business, then you're not going to be able to, you know, um, have all those people, uh, you know, try your great food and your great hospitality because you've got to succeed as a business. Otherwise, you're going to be, you know, just making dinner for friends and family. And that's nice, but doesn't expose you to as big a population. What is one restaurant or chef right now that you really like that others may not know about? 
Well, I tell you, I, um, I'm a very you know, traditional plain eater. I'm not a gourmet uh, chef, nor am I, do I like to go to really exotic restaurants. So I'll answer the question in a way maybe you didn't intend it, but I think a more important way. Um, one of my heroes, his name is Bill Bracken. Um, he was the chef at the Peninsula Hotel in Beverly Hills. He was the executive chef at the Island Hotel in Fashion Island. A very, very successful chef. Very good chef, too. And um, he became a friend of mine. And um, he gave up his corporate career as a chef in order to start an organization called Bracken's Kitchen. And he feeds um, homeless people. And he's got a truck, calls, a food truck, calls it Betsy. And he goes around and he's able to get you know food that, that repurpose it and, um, and feed uh, people who are underserved in the community. And to know Bill is an honor. Uh, to be his friend is a greater honor. Um, but to see a guy who had, had an incredible career in the restaurant industry, who was making the big bucks, um, and you know, it was at the peak of his um, industry, give it all up in order to serve others is one of the most amazing things that I've ever uh, experienced. And um, I hope over my career at Stack that we were able to support him more in his efforts. Uh, they're very noble and, um, you know, if you Google Bill Bracken, I think you'll see both sides of Bill, both as what he's accomplished, you know, at the highest end of his industry and what he's done in terms of helping humanity. Uh, just an incredible guy. It's amazing. All right. You had to choose your last meal. What would it be and from where? That's the easiest question you've asked. <laughs> I'm a fanatic over baby back ribs, but not just any baby back ribs. Chicago-style baby back ribs, which is, and for those of you listening here from California, I apologize, but I hold my opinions firm. They're not ribs that fall right off the bone. They're ribs that you have to uh, play with a little bit. Um, but Carson's ribs in Chicago, widely known as the best ribs in Chicago, if not the country. Mm-hmm. That would be my last meal, and I get them shipped out from Chicago from time to time when I get homesick <laughs> and put them on the grill myself. Uh, and it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> so that would be at Carson's. Amazing. All right. Unless where can uh, listeners go to, uh, to find you online to learn more about Stacked? Well, our website is you know, stacked.com, Instagram, and I highly recommend going to Instagram is Stacked Restaurants, Facebook, Stacked Restaurants. We don't uh, have a presence on Twitter, um, but those, you know, especially Instagram, is where you find out a lot about mm-hmm. Stacked, and it will make you hungry, I guarantee mm-hmm. it. You're right, and I'll put those uh, links in the show notes as well online so people can see, and then I'll challenge the listeners to go find a picture that doesn't make them hungry. All right. <laughs> All right, well, Paul, thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. My pleasure, and best of luck to you. Thank you. And 
that's a wrap. Thank you for listening, my friends. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Culinaryschool.com. You can find the show notes to this week's podcast. Let me know what you think of the episode. Leave me any feedback or suggestions on how I can make the show better for you and better for the rest of our food service industry. My mission is to bring you a weekly guest from the food service world to share their story and insights with you. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'm Jonathan Schroeder. This is Culinary School. Culinary School.